You're listening to No Nonsense Sales from Salesloft, your weekly dose of sales fun where we interview some of the biggest names in sales and separate sales fact from fiction. And here's your host, Tom Boston. Welcome sellers. Let's get better at sales together by learning from some of the best sales minds on the planet. Dramatic it may be, but it's also true. I'm very proud of the guests we have on this show. You know, they know this stuff. This week's sales myth that I'm going to try to debunk is that you only get one chance to make a good first impression. It doesn't always go like that, and I don't know about you, but when I've been on a sales call and I know it's not going very well, I start monologuing internally. They hate you. You're messing this up. You shouldn't have said that. You sound like an idiot. These are just some of my internal thoughts here. Uh, so how do we counteract that? Firstly, how do we actually make a good impression? And secondly, what do we do if it all goes pear-shaped? My guest this week is the CRO of G2, Mike Weir, as well as looking after revenue for a company that helps 80 million people every year make smarter software decisions. He also hosts a podcast called Go to Market Innovators. So my first question for Mike was, the leaders that you've interviewed, what are they saying matters the most to them right now? Right on the top of the list, churn. It's like, oof, it is just a tough, tough environment out there. Everybody's highly scrutinizing every single purchase they make. Two becomes very related to that, as you know, especially as an executive team, you're thinking about the efficiency of your business, right? And if you're in a public market in particular, you have to deal with this front and center every single day. Are we going to hit the efficiency metrics to deliver on profitability while delivering on the top line? In our you know, non-public world, we're thinking about it of just like productivity per person. And the third one, which is very related to efficiency, everybody's having issues with conversion rates right now. I think that's where like the optimist in me is like really excited about the global economies to turn around because we are at all time highs of pipeline. We have so many conversations going on, but a lot of them are just saying, I got to wait a little bit longer. I got to wait a little bit longer. And so there's going to be a deluge out there. But in the meantime, it's how can we help our teams do an amazing job isolating the ones that are most likely to actually convert now? Uh, And then the final piece of feedback everybody's giving that we talk a ton about is just how are you better leveraging your tech stack? Consolidation is an aspect of that. Automation is a huge, huge theme within there. And then the final wild card is AI. It's like, what you doing with that, right? Like everybody's talking about it. It's the the it word and it will be for decade to come, but not everybody's really sure how to use it yet. Certainly feeling that. I know that uh, a lot of our listeners will as well, right? People tend to be dabbling, if you like, with with yeah. AI, um, but it's not going anywhere. So it's time to it's time to get on board. Um, Mike, I want to pick up on a couple of things that you said there. So you talked about um, huge pipeline and huge opportunity with people kind of maybe treading water and waiting for waiting for things to get a little bit a little bit better. And you also talked about churn, which I know is a huge issue uh, right right across the market. What would be your kind of top tips and advice for companies who are kind of raising their hands and going, yep, churn is a huge concern. We're losing customers. And also the people who may convert, they're telling me 
six months, 12 months, maybe 18 months time. Thank you very much. What what would be your, your top tip and maybe some strategy uh, to, to kind of counteract that? Yeah, I think anytime you're hearing, you know, now may not be the right time. And I'm, you know, it's funny because I, I have a dual background, right? I, I was a marketer myself for a long time, now in uh, revenue leadership across you know, different types of disciplines within my team. But as a marketer, I was put to that challenge. And even now in my role, I put to that challenge. But when you're talking to marketers, I mean, they're under fire. They got to cut budget but they're still going to spend. They still have to hit their objectives. Mm. So the number one thing that we focus on within our team and that we talk to everybody in the market about is it's just about showing ROI, right? Value still gets bills paid. Value still gets contracts signed. And so if you are not crystal clear in projecting to a prospect what the value will be or talking to customers about the value you've delivered and what is coming that's going to help you deliver even more value, then you've got no shot right now, right? I mean, I guess you have a, a little bit of a hope and a prayer that the customer did an amazing job tracking what you were uniquely doing with them to then come back with their own perspective saying, I can't afford to not keep doing this, but that's not going to be a, a great uh, strategy. You, you got to be the one that has that perspective, that's sharing that perspective. Yeah, I love that. I think a lot of people talk about, well, we're a nice to have. And I hear this quite a lot, right? We're a nice to have rather than a, than a must have. But I'd agree with you. The way to become a must have is that V word. And the V word comes up a lot on this podcast, but it's the value, right? It's the the impact that you can have on on an organization. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that one. Um, before I ask the next question, I'd, I'd love to pick up on what you said there about sales and marketing. As someone who's kind of dabbled in both myself, which uh, which do you prefer? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's revenue all the way. Um, no slight against marketing. I, I love my time in marketing. And in fact, I planned, I had originally planned to go back. I purposely went into uh, into a revenue role, into a quota carrying role, to be a better marketer in the future. I thought that was the way for me to like feel that pressure every single day, learn the function, learn the discipline. And then, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to be a CMO at a tech company. And man, I'm going to have credibility. I'm going to have knowledge. This is going to be awesome. And then I got to revenue. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going back. No way. And is that is that just is that about uh, thrill, excitement? Like, because uh, I've spoke to a lot of people on this show, and I've asked them before. You know, do you think that people in revenue, revenue leaders, are are thrill seekers? I think they are, but I'd love to get your your take on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can I can be an introvert at times, but I do I do love the excitement. I love the ability to to make it a material impact every single day, and more than anything, like. I just like being out talking with customers, talking about business problems. It's like a quasi way to be a consultant every single day. It's like I sit in a very amazing opportunity to learn from some of the best in the business and be able to pass some of that knowledge on to help others. And so it's like that's the type of thing, you know, when you go into you know, a CMO type role, you're not always going to be as customer facing. You're not always on the front line of kind of building out the go to market strategy. In many ways, you absolutely are. But in other ways, like architecting, you know, what our cohort of customers looks like, how we're going to serve them, how to give maximum value to drive, you know, high gross retention, high net retention. Like that's just the stuff that uh, I wouldn't want to move away from. 
Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely relate to that. Um, the, uh, the the part about helping customers. I think anyone who's in a revenue role, ultimately, maybe if they don't even realise it, they they're passionate about helping because that's all sales is really. Let's let's kind of let's face it, and um, takes us quite nicely onto the topic of this podcast. Is the you know we're trying to debunk mm. this myth or maybe even prove it to be true that actually you only get one chance to make a good first impression so if we look at that from a sales perspective then um sales people specifically do you think that they only get one chance to make a really good first impression what what are your thoughts on this i don't know i think you get multiple chances but i think it's well the way you phrase it a first impression is a first impression your overall impression like you can regain that you know you can regain that trust you can regain it being super candid, you really kneecapped yourself if you mess up that very first impression. You have to work way harder to earn, earn it, a second meeting. Like this is, you know, this is the challenge is if, if all the research is true and buyers truly control the vast majority, 80% plus of their own process, then you get a really small slice to show the value of why they should commit time to talking to you. So if you mess up the first one, you better crush it on the second one. And honestly, to do that, it's not that difficult. And it should be the standard stuff that any of your customer facing teams are thinking about. And especially when you're going into a one to one conversation. Did you do your homework? As a, again, former marketer, the thing that pissed me off the most is when I just got a rep coming in, pitching me the standard deck. I'm like, you have, you come in and you're so convinced this is the most amazing thing in the world and I'm not thinking about it. And man, you are going to save us from ourselves. I'm like, yeah, you didn't do your homework because we already do this. We actually work with your competitor. We have really good results from it. Not interested. You know, good luck on your next call. It's like, okay, do your homework. Know what they care about. Know what they're already doing. Then personalize your narrative. Come in with examples, speaking the language of that customer. It's just way more relevant to them when you come in and, and you know approach them that way, and you know give them the space to share. It's like if you if you're walking into a meeting and you're just driving your agenda, then you better hope you nailed it, or you got an audience over there that's just kind of smiling and nodding, and then you're never going to get that follow up meeting or that follow up action. And it's, it's so funny because from the seller's perspective, actually, if you have two or three short conversations with a couple of people at the company, you'll probably know more than you ever could from doing hours yeah. of research, you know, on the website, wherever it may be. So I'm a huge advocate of, yeah, before that discovery call, just have a few five minute conversations with people on the ground because the person who takes that discovery call, they're going to say, oh, wait a second, this person is... Uh, this is really personalized to me, and also they've done they've done some research. So yeah, I think that's a really that's a really good uh, share out. Now you talked about people who crush it, and they you know mm. I love salespeople who who you know smash a home run on the first the first go. But what about these people who tank? What about let's say I jump on a discovery call with you, Mike, and it doesn't go very well, and I rub you up the wrong way, and and it doesn't align. What can I do then to maybe rectify that or try to make a, a, a second impression? Let's say. Yeah, I'd love to approach this in kind of two different scenarios. Like 
and I think they're both related, right? At the end of the day, you got to be adaptable. And there's scenario A, which is like, hey, you're in the meeting. And if you're paying attention at all, you can see this ain't going great, right? And so in that specific scenario, I hate it when like a rep on my team, and this is the role that I'll always try to play. It's like, hey, if I see this is going the wrong direction, that's my opportunity to kind of step in and hopefully redirect it. But hopefully your reps have the self-awareness to see it's not going well and just be comfortable to kind of pause and own that perception and just say, hey, I, I don't know if this is getting your interests or maybe this isn't meeting your expectations. Can we just pause a second and like share with me like what's resonating, what's not resonating? Like just honestly having that awareness to pause and just check in, right? It, it at least gives them an opportunity to do things like say, uh, you know, one, if you hadn't done your homework, they can correct you and be like, yeah, we already do this. Uh, we do really well. Here's what we're doing. Great. Okay. Sorry. I didn't give you the opportunity to share with me up front. I just went right into my sales pitch. Or they can flat out tell you, it's like, this doesn't seem to be that interesting to me. I don't really get that it's going to work. It's like, okay, great. Now I know I've got a bigger hill to climb. So own that perception, do a lot more discovery, ask more questions, get your customer, your prospect, talking more, sharing more, educating you more. And then honestly, the one thing like I was so impressed, uh, one of my enterprise sellers in the past, I just love that he had the confidence to just say, hey, this obviously, uh, you know, isn't going great. I don't feel like I've done enough homework now knowing what you just shared with me to really land what we can do for you. Why don't we end this meeting early? Let me give this time back to you. What I'd love to do, though, is take one minute. Let's grab time in one week, two weeks, and let me come back to you with a much more informed perspective of what we can do to help. And if I'm on the other side of the table, I respect and appreciate that because, the you know, honestly, I'm never going to take a follow up if you make me sit there for an hour getting talked at. <laughs> and so like in a meeting situation, I've like those are some of the things I've seen the best people I've ever worked with really do exceptionally well. For the follow-up part of it, if this is like just digital conversation, then it does go back to the other stuff. It's like, do your homework, right? You, your impression wasn't great. You don't think the meeting went great. You better do even more homework afterwards. You better talk to some peers, some other SMEs, subject matter experts within your business and say, hey, not a great call. Uh, here's how I'm thinking of following up. Get some of that so that when you do follow up with an email or whatever it may be, like you knock it out of the park to regain their interest. Yeah, I think that specific example that you gave there must have been a seasoned professional because I think it comes from nervousness, right? This is the time to sell. This is the time to seal the deal. But actually patience and understanding that probably this is going to be a process. I don't have to ram everything down someone's throat. And like you said, just make them sit through the next 15 slides when actually I could I could take a beat, take a breath, take a moment. So yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, so let's, and I think I'm going to know your answer here, but let's decide if this week's topic is a fact or a fiction. 
do you only get one chance to make a good first impression? I think it's a fiction. Yeah, thought thought you might say that, and I think that's quite reassuring, especially for sellers. I'm thinking of thinking for new sellers to hear. Actually, okay, I don't need to be perfect. There's always an opportunity to get it right if I take the time to reflect, do my research, all that good stuff. Now, um, speaking of good stuff, we end this podcast with a song, as regular listeners will will know, and I can hear I can hear the groans already out there in podcast world um, but do you want to share with us mike the 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 reason you've brought your pump up track in and if you could tell us what the song is afterwards that would be great yeah um i love just you know classic music growing up uh, my dad was somebody who would you know expose us whether we liked it or not in long car rides to see the relatives to 50s 60s and 70s rock and roll and everything and one song always stuck with me. It always just brought focus. I just really, the tempo, the energy, and the iconic uh, the iconic group of the Rolling Stones gets me going every time I hear Painted Black. And it, it's not your classic pump-up song, but oh man, do I just get laser-focused and dialed in when I'm listening to that song. Love that. Well, I'm sure my acapella cover will help our listeners to be just as laser focused. Thank you so much for for sharing that. I look forward to giving it a go. And uh, thanks for joining me on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. No more will my green sea go turn a deeper blue. I could not foresee this thing happening to you If I look hard enough into the setting sun My love will laugh with me before the morning comes The Rolling Stones on No Nonsense Sales set to release their first new album in 18 years next month and I'm sure we can all agree my cover of one of their classics was quite Terrible. To hear the track sang by the Stones properly, head over to Spotify right now because we've just added it to the No Nonsense Sales playlist. And I'll see you next week on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Podcasts.